Welcome to the More Than Just a Job podcast from People Plus. Episode two. So a very warm welcome to everyone watching and excited to crack on with it. Episode two of the More Than Just a Job podcast brought to you by People Plus. I am Darren Christie and with this podcast, we will be discussing all things employment and employability from speaking with industry experts and giving hints and tips on how to navigate through today and tomorrow's job market. Today, I am delighted to say that we have fellow Scott and heavyweight of the employability world, Group Managing Director of People Plus, Mr. Kenny Boyle. Kenny, how are you? Well, I've got two complaints, Darren. Heavyweight, okay. heavyweight. I thought you were looking quite spelt yourself. You, you're sailing close to the wind, my friend. And uh, and secondly, podcast number two. I'm the boss in podcast number two. First one was a, a soft launch. You are our primary guest on the, <laughs> on the launch of this podcast. So I, I greatly appreciate your thinking. I know you're a busy man. Good recovery, uh, mate. Good recovery. So so thank you. Thank you very much for this. So, yeah, pleasure. Um, good, to, good to be here. So essentially, look, what, what we're going to be doing um, over the next kind of half hour or so is, is really just discussing employment, employability, and a few things within that that world. So with the world being very different over the last few years, and kind of asking you, I suppose, in essence, to bring out your crystal ball at this point, Kenny, what are some of the biggest trends and changes you see coming over the, in the world of work over the next five years or so? And how can individuals and organisations start to kind of prepare for these? Um... Well, that's an interesting question. And uh, sadly, uh, I don't have the crystal ball. If I did, uh, <laughs> I would be uh, uh, in, uh, in, in, in a very uh, advantageous position. So um, look, there's, the, there's, the, there's the normal uh, tectonic shifts that we all hear about, read about, uh, and have been very much in the news recently around AI, for instance, yep. uh, um, yeah, robots. Uh, and that there is no doubt that that is making a change to uh, to the world of work, and it's seeing um, displacement in some sectors. Uh, I, I, I don't know if you know, and you know, and, and listeners will know that actually, you know, we we do use a lot of in inverted commas robots and AI across the people plus business. Um, and what it what it does is ensure that a kind of normal processing functions, and I can think of 101 uh, examples here, but they often exist around our finance systems or our payment systems take place uh, sort of seamlessly, automatically, and most importantly, without error. So, yeah. you know, so in the old days, as it were, those jobs might have been performed by, you know, a generic term by clerks, uh, I think we, yeah. we, we would have called them. Jobs don't exist really anymore in in our in our business uh, and uh, with others. So those those um, uh, you know, technology shifts will continue to you know, to influence the world of uh, world of work. Of course, there will be peaks and troughs in different sectors. So um, if if you, you know, are a sad person like me and happen to follow um, the fortunes of different companies on the stock market. You will see very strange, um, uh, you know, almost Himalayan type peaks and troughs if you follow businesses like Ocado, for example. You know that um, you know, I think we we're recording this podcast on what the third anniversary of lockdown. Almost just slightly. I think that's yeah about uh, about then. Um, so you know, Ocado and you know, range of other you know, uh, you know, services that you know, that were little used. Netflix is another you know, kind of good example, little used 
uh, or you know, had niche usage prior to lockdown, um, then went through yeah, massive growth. Uh, you will recall three years ago, People Plus launched an initiative called Feed the Nation, which tried to move uh, it, uh, people who'd been displaced, furloughed, or made redundant in uh, in sectors which had been devastated by the immediate lockdown. So, good example was the uh, hospitality and tourism uh, sector. Um, they you know, were out of work, and we managed to put them into work in retail and uh, logistics and delivery. So that yeah, that was an extreme example of market conditions that honestly, if you had a crystal ball and it was predicting that, then yeah. Then we're probably considered to be genuinely a witch, uh, and uh, you know what, why would you have thought of such an outlier? But you, you know, we saw incredible movements across um, uh, across sectors. Uh, whilst, of course, we would hope that we never see anything like you know COVID uh, again. Uh, touch wood. Um, I think what it has left us with is an appreciation on the part of both employers and uh, and workers that they need to think about their skill sets as being transferable across sectors. Yep. So I'm I'm working as a uh, yeah, in a customer service in yeah, in, yeah on board an aircraft one day. I'm you know, providing you know, food and drink uh, services uh, as a yeah as a as an airline host or hostess. Uh, but I could do that in a supermarket. I could do it you know, in in a different environment. So I think those yep. transferable skills are here to stay. Um, and employers will need to think about those um, more open-mindedly. Uh, workers will need to think of the, about those as genuine, you know, kind of capabilities that they have, and not define themselves as being somebody who works in the yeah. hospitality sector. Yeah, for instance. And change. Yeah, and um, and from a government point of view, it's incredibly important for yeah for the you know, for those in charge of creating labour market policies, they try and help people develop those kind of core skills and enable them to, you know, to move around sector, you know, sector to sector. I think the other thing that is uh, that is probably here to stay, and it's probably here to stay for that, you know, that five year um, period that you're, you've, you've uh, set me, uh, is, is the balance of the balance of the labour market, really, the labour market exists, you know, with you know, what's called supply. Yeah, I mean, we all know this from basic economics, but supply and demand. So, you know, the number of people that are out there looking for work, the number of people, the number of jobs uh, in the in the market. Historically, you know, there have always been enough people in the UK to fill the jobs that we, you know, that we have in the UK. That doesn't exist at the moment, hasn't existed for the better part of two years and probably won't exist again for the next five years. So, you know, there are currently at least one and a half million jobs unfilled in the labour market. Um, so that, that sets a whole different uh, set of parameters for employers who are desperate to get staff. Uh, for workers who might have more of a, you know, a, a, a range of opportunities available to them. Um, and for the government, who you know have got a bit of a problem because if the, that situation doesn't resolve itself at some point soon and favourably, it means that the economy shrinks, and the economy shrinking is is not a good thing for for any of us. Yeah, no, well, absolutely. And I think the, the change aspect of it, from my own point of view, is something that when I'm out speaking to businesses every day. I was actually giving a talk in this the other day to talk about embracing change. There's many aspects of this, which some people there will always be winners and losers anytime that there's there's change. And the example I used was when my granddad was a kid. Um, my my granddad didn't know he wanted to be an IT manager because the role didn't exist. 
X amount of years ago when my granddad was younger. So um, it's, it's just about making sure that businesses absolutely embrace the change and, and, and kind of utilise that and, and upskill people. Oh, that's, a, that's, that's a really good example. I mean, I think um, I think a lot of us, um, if you've been in in work for for as long as I have, will will recognise those those changing patterns. And we, we uh, I won't I won't name names here, but we we've certainly got a senior person in the People Plus organisation who works in a very specialist specialised uh, IT capacity. Now his his starting point in his career was working for the post office. Sort, yeah, sorting mail. They didn't. They didn't have systems, and eventually the systems grew, and his capabilities grew alongside those, and became more and more and more specialised, more and more oriented towards technology. And if you've got the, um, if you've got the chops to, yeah, to, to recognise that the world is changing around you, and uh, and you can follow that, then that will, yeah, that's a that's a really really enjoyable place to be in in your career because you can feel you can feel your skills and your uh, your your capabilities and your uh, value to organizations your current one and potentially your future one grow as well so yeah it's yeah it's a really interesting way of thinking about it yeah, i am um, a long long time ago personal anecdote but yeah uh, i am um, I, I used to work in you know, marketing uh in the main but i uh i blundered into um what became called loyalty marketing. <laughs> so you know, um, you know, having you know, uh, supermarket loyalty cards and you know, getting benefits you know, uh, from those. And I worked. I, I made a. I made a very successful career for you know, for for a number of years working for big supermarkets, big airlines, developing uh, what was called CRM systems or customer relationship management systems. When I started my career, they didn't exist. Didn't exist, and I was lucky enough to be. In the right place at the right time, as that became a buzzword, and a, a lot of us will go through our careers um, never anticipating that we would work in a particular sector or a particular branch of a particular sector, because, as you say, didn't exist. But you know, but if you're there and you can see it develop, and you uh, and you um, are alive to those opportunities, can make really really interesting um, career development opportunities for uh, for anybody. Definitely. I mean, Kenny, I'm, I'm quite similar. My degree was in marketing. Um, I graduated with one one, and I was going to when I came back from America, I was going to go into marketing roles. Little did I know that 13 years later, I'd be supporting unemployed people back into work. That wasn't the plan that I initially had, but embraced a bit of change, and and here we are today. So, um, so one of the big buzzwords that just now keep hearing a lot um, is diversity and inclusion. So, how can we promote greater diversity and inclusivity in the workforce? And kind of what are the benefits to organisations and, I suppose, society as a whole on that? Um, so, uh, yeah, um, how can we promote it? So, I think I think organisations um, are increasingly aware. I hope, anyway, that they are not just here to make money. Um, there was a, if you go, if we wind the clock back, even further back than than I than I go to, you know, to the kind of start of industry and you know, British industry in particular, it was very clear to the organisations that were coming into into being uh, that they had a responsibility. To, yeah, to their shareholders certainly, but also to the societies in which they, uh, you know, they were you know, working, in which they you know, sprang up, 
the the classic example are, is kind of the the chocolate makers of the uh, of the of the nineteenth century. So Cadbury's, you know, re- really good example. Yeah, Bourneville, yeah, really good example of organisations that had intertwined right from the right from the yeah the start of uh, of their existence that they had a, a yes they're there to make money they're a business but they had a social obligation uh, as well um and i i imagine diversity and inclusion meant for them what it means to yeah to people plus today certainly which is that i would expect <clears throat> i would expect our workforce to be very representative of the communities that it serves, and I'm you know, talking about you know, diversity and inclusion there in respect of uh, yeah, uh, race and ethnicity, gender, um, but also particularly because it's a you know, it's a passion of ours, making sure that we are giving people uh, an opportunity in the labour market where they might previously have faced disadvantage. And you'll know, and we every listen to this podcast will know examples of people. Uh, yeah, working in People Plus that yeah that would possibly yeah, would would have been customers of ours. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, coming into yeah, coming into uh, uh, to yeah to use our services, <clears throat> exhibiting the types of you know values and capabilities that we want as an organisation, having the authenticity and lived experience which we really value, and that's a that's an incredibly important part of our um, of our you know, workforce um, yeah, policy and our. You know, uh, our strategy to to uh, you know, to help support our you know, our own people and to develop our, uh, ourselves as an organisation. I think that's a message which we have been uh, giving to employers for for many many years. That you know, the, the, you know this is a good uh, good thing to do uh, for a whole host of reasons. But yeah, you know, but it you know, the, the the names in the you know, in the so the, the clue is in the title, really. If you've got a more diverse workforce, you've got an opportunity to to bring new thinking, new skills, new um, and uh, and more varied yeah, approaches to yeah, to yeah, to customer engagement or task uh, delivery or problem solving. All of that is yep. clearly going to be incredibly helpful for an organisation. If you fast forward from uh, you know, from my you know, uh, 19th century example into the last century, into the 1970s, organisations lost touch with that. Uh, really, there was a there's a chap called Milton Friedman. Uh, he, you know, it's a major e- e- economics um, thinker um, and uh, yeah, and um, idea generator. He was much beloved of Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan, amongst others. Uh, and he he cast the organization's um, uh, uh, main objective in a very different light. Gone was the you know kind of diversity and inclusion component. Gone was the social um, uh, and societal element. It was all about the bottom line, all about making money. Yeah. Um, and you know I, that that shaped organizational practices for generations still with us today really but i'm happy to say that you know that in the 21st century and today particularly organizations are much broader thinking and they do understand their social uh, obligations and that's why another buzz phrase that's why you have the acronym which is very much on people's lips these you know these days in boardrooms in the uk and beyond which is esg yeah. So uh, yeah, it's uh, environmental social governance. 
and that ref that reflects the fact that organizations need to observe not just you know the the bottom line of money but the bottom line of their impact on society and their impact on the environment now from a pe people plus point of view the observation that we make is that um organizations kind of get the environmental stuff pretty readily um they understand that they shouldn't be damaging to the you know, to the planet they understand actually there's a link a very close link between the financial bottom line and the uh, environmental bottom line this by by dint of the simple fact that if you switch off the lights that's good for the planet and it's good it's good for your cost base right because you're not spending money and you're not burning fossil fuels stop yep. using the photocopier don't print as much all that sort of stuff works hand in hand and the message that we have and that we espouse as an organization is the same can be and should be true for your social component and it's more difficult for organizations to you know, to, you know, to grapple uh, with that but if i am one of those organizations of the type that i mentioned at the, the top of our uh, discussion that is that is struggling because I, you know, i'm part of the uh, you know the uh, the uk um, em employer uh, base that has that 1.7 million pound sorry 1.7 million um whole in terms of the number of workers that i want to employ i really really need to think differently about where i'm going to get people into my uh into my workforce from so why not look at those individuals who i might not have thought about employing before yeah long the long-term unemployed ex-offenders people with historical uh challenges with uh, with drug and alcohol abuse yet yeah, let's be honest a number of employers, most employers possibly, might not think about these individuals as being the people that they want in their organisations. It's not necessarily the pond that they would fish with them. Yeah, exactly. But in a world in which I'm, yeah, in, in the world in which I can't find enough employees, I have to fish in those in those ponds, and that brings diversity and inclusion really up to the agenda the, to the fore in organisations' agendas. Yeah. Um, so. What you do there is you are again marrying the you know, kind of the you know, the bottom line financial component with, in this case, not the environmental but the social component. So you're doing you know, two really beneficial things: you're supporting DNI diversity and inclusion, you're supporting social uh, impact for your organisation, and you're helping improving the the performance of your business. So the benefits are, you you asked. Are, yeah, are, are, are multiple in terms of you know what it can do for yeah for uh, for an employee workforce and organize, yeah, and it, there is a lot of evidence that that says very clearly that yeah you know, that people who are given that chance are more loyal if you like when the, when they join join an organization they are, yeah they're more appreciative of it and actually they have a very positive impact on the on the people that they're working alongside because they can see that yeah, that loyalty and that enthusiasm and that pleasure in having been given the opportunity to get into work when you thought maybe that was yeah that was beyond you or you've had a, a long history of uh, of unemployment yeah. uh so yeah always round that is a yeah that is a every everybody's a winner in that everybody's a winner from the from the person with the job to the employer that is employing that person to the employer's colleagues to the society or the you know the you know, the locale in which that business is yeah, is based to you know bluntly to the taxpayer who is paying money so that employability services of the type that people plus deliver 
can de can be demonstrably effective. So there there is there is nothing but good comes from that positive, uh, proactive approach to diversity and inclusion. Brilliant. I think essentially what we're kind of talking about just now is a, a more socially responsible um, style of recruitment um, in today's market. <clears throat> so. And a lot of the companies that I'm engaging with just now on a daily basis, they want to do more, but not quite sure how to do more. So how let's we're just not be fishing in different ponds there. What oh. what ponds can be fished in? So in your opinion, what, what are some of the steps that companies can take um essentially to promote socially responsible recruitment? And what are some of the examples of of how companies can do this well? So um so I think the the first message that I would give to those companies is you know is don't beat yourself up if you, you know, if you if you haven't if you don't have a fantastic track record of you know of um, of socially responsible you know, recruitment don't be nervous about admitting that we we all have to start somewhere um, yeah. and it's in many respects the the commitment to or the you know the you know, the writing down of a policy that says I'm going to do this. Is the most important step that they're going to they're, they're going to make. They will then go on a kind of a, a, a journey of you know a bit of, of exploration, but a journey of uh, of improved delivery, uh, which will take time, take many years. I mean, this you know this is not you know, the, you know social socially responsible recruit, recruitment is not for Christmas. It's for you know, it's for life in an organisational <laughs> uh, perspective. So um, yeah, they will make many mistakes, and they will, but equally they will get many things uh, right. Um, the best way of doing it, though, is to is to learn from others, uh, and that that is why we People Plus has uh, has created a group called the uh, Social Recruitment Advocacy Group, uh, uh, SRA group, um, and that's for organisations. Many of them, probably more large organisations than small, but it's but it's but it's certainly both um, to talk about how they can. Be better social employers, uh, and when they are good social employers, you know how they can, you know, um, share their experiences and learnings with uh, with other organisations to you know, to allow them to you know, to get on board with that you know, that journey. Now, as it happens, we give what's called a charter mark to organisations that are part of that group. So yeah, and we grade it into bronze, silver, and, and gold. Um, but you know, but we are just as happy. To be working with the, you know, those that achieve the bronze charter mark as we are the, the gold, because they're they're all on a journey. They're all trying to get better. Yeah, they've got and something it's, to achieve at that point. Yeah, and it and it's it's amazing to see how those organisations, because this and this is the largely the point of it, how organisations share their um, their individual experience of working with uh, with individuals who have had you know, challenges in you know, in their employment journeys or in their their, their labour market journeys. Very interesting, actually, to you know, to you know, to see how um, uh, they they come up with quite different solutions to the same problem. So, you know, a couple of organisations I was talking to the other day um, both uh, recruit from the ranks of uh, you know, of the, you know, the ex-offender you know, population. Yep. One very strongly feels that the the process that you and I would describe and you know, others would recognise as the interview process isn't described as an interview process because it feels in their view too formal uh, and that they think that that is a contributing factor to many people and this is something we observe in the you know the labor market um 
not turning up for interviews. So they've got a guaranteed interview, but people are no shows. They don't, you know, they don't turn up for it. And this, or you know, this one organisation that I won't name uh, believes that, you know, that by not putting the, you know, the label of interview on it, uh, you, you kind of detune the, the nervousness that people have, you know, coming forward into that interview, and therefore you have a chat and another chat, and people get more and more comfortable in, you know, and moving to work. Now. I can I can absolutely see the the thinking behind that, and I'm really I'm really interested to see the data that they have, and they do have robust data that says, on that basis, more people do turn up for their interview, more people will go through the interview successfully, interview in inverted commas, We're doing a very successful thing for a podcast there by you know, by by making speech marks <laughs> that nobody can hear, um, and uh, and then move them into into the workplace. Um, I have another organisation that that takes a you know, completely different view, and that actually they think that by calling it an interview, you you you, know, you immediately capture people's kind of sense of um, uh, pride and value and you know, and and recognition that they are yep. that they are they're now moving closer to the you know, to the you know, to employment, and that it's a thing that you should absolutely badge in that way. So just you know, a really good example, you know, interesting example, of how everybody's on a learning journey. There is no you know, one size fits all, or there's no absolute right answer. And organisations are kind of feeling their way towards what works best for them. But absolutely, what what they what an organisation will need to do is think differently about the challenges that have been faced by the people that they are now potentially recruiting into the organisation in those individuals' historical experience of work. And of education beforehand, or they need to make allowances for that. They absolutely need to make. It's, I suppose it's it, a really obvious example is in in working with people with uh, disability or or, or accessibility uh, challenges, where you know we as employers make uh, you know, what's what's called reasonable adjustments, and it's just extending that that thinking about what constitutes a reasonable adjustment to allow people to you know, to come into your your workforce and prosper uh, yes. and and not feel that they are you know, somehow different or excluded or not as good as uh, or you know or you know to make allowances for some of the challenges that they may face now it, with with somebody who's got accessibility needs for instance that yeah you know, that will you know, some of the yeah you know, the challenges and therefore the reasonable adjustments that you know that are made may be quite obvious and making sure that people have got access to you know, to ramps and, and and not overly narrow uh, you know, uh, corridors and walkways and i've got you know, you know the ability to get readily to their desks but you apply the same thing to somebody who has or the same principles to somebody who has been unemployed for a long time and you come up with a whole raft of different answers which may be less obvious and maybe you, you know, employers may feel are, you know, are less of a you know, less of an immediate requirement, but you know, but you know, the use of peer to peer support groups or mentoring um, uh, models work really really well yep. uh, for individuals who are yeah you know, are nervous about getting back into uh, into employment or or indeed in many instances into employment for the first time. Yeah, so I mean, I suppose in essence the advice you're giving there would be organisations like. Some organisations don't do anything because they're scared to do something, especially in today's world where you can be sued for very little nowadays. Um, I suppose what you're saying is the, the old Nike adage of just do it, try it, make some mistakes, um, because it's not it's not if you make mistakes, it's when you make mistakes, when you're 
you're kind of going through this. And, and I suppose like you're talking about the SRA group that we've got, um, it's been interesting to watch different organisations from wildly different fields coming together and discussing the same problems, even though they're in completely different sectors. Um, it's been really good to see them discussing similar problems and, and, and like you said, coming up with solutions to, to problems that everyone's facing nowadays. It's not just yeah. a sector that's experiencing that. Yeah, I, 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 along, I mean, I've, I've had the, I, don't know, I, I guess I'm not alone in this, but sometimes it has it, it felt that I have been. I've had the, the idea of socially responsible recruitment as a concept in my head for a decade or more. Um, and you know, I'm delighted to be in the position. And you know, the, one of the reasons that I work at People Plus is that I, I knew it would enable me to be in a position where I was able to, you know, to really influence an organisation to support and promote the principles of, uh, you know, of, 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 of more socially responsible um, yeah, recruitment on the part of, you know, of, of industry. But a long time ago, before I came to work at People Plus, I did some research for the company I was then working for uh, about the benefits of of social recruitment, and you know it was uh, I did a lot of research in in those days, but I never saw a set of results that was as universally popular as you know, as the ones that were you know, that were produced when we were asking employer organisations what are the benefits of recruiting from you know from parts of the labor market you wouldn't normally go to it was just you know it was it was legion from you know from some of the stats so some of the examples i gave previously about you know loyalty of those individuals loyalty of the rest of, you know, of the, the workforce engagement with uh, with your employee uh, your population your ability if i put it on more of a business footing your ability to reference the fact that you're doing this when you are pitching for government contracts for instance you're uh, the reputational benefits that it has for your brand, your ability to talk to partner organisations, the list went on and on and on and on. And it begged the question, why aren't more organisations doing this? If, they, if it has so many benefits, why, you know, why isn't everybody doing this? And it was fear. It was fear about how I would reach out to those organisations, uh, fear about whether they would be ready for work, when they come into the organisation, uh, and you know, that's kind of ready for the job at hand, either kind of the understanding of the skills required for the job, or or just the soft skills of being ready for the workforce. Fear that they you know, they might do something, they might commit some horrible faux pas, um, uh, or, or you know, or indeed you know, have some kind of you know, uh, uh, litigation against them because they've done something terrible. It, it, that was that was all it was. It was fear, and that is what people plus through the social recruitment advocacy group and, and other services that it offers is trying to remove. It's trying to say, like, these are the benefits and they are they are massive for you. And don't be fearful because, you know, if you're worried about how you're going to get hold of, you know, somebody who's been long in long term unemployed, you know, we can help you with that. We can help you in your uh, uh, area of the business, Darren, with Fair Start Scotland for, yeah, for, Scot you know, for, yeah, for, yeah, for people in Scotland who are unemployed. But right across the rest of the UK, through our yeah, employability and skills services, and of course through our sort of partner services like the social recruitment framework, where you know we might not have an employability or skills program in you know, area X, where an employer wants to recruit, but because we have programs that work with other employability providers and training providers, and we're remember we're unique in that. That's a that's yep. a genuine uh, USP for our organisation because. 
we think about you know the customer first and the value that we can add to that customer before we think about oh well you know that's not our contract you know why would we be helping you know our uh, again air quotes our 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 competitors there um you know we we remove the barriers that employers feel they face to being able to do this so that we can provide people who are job ready day one confident or as confident as they can be about moving into into the workplace uh, and set them up for success and indeed set the employers up for success with them so we remove as many of those obstacles of fear as we possibly can and you know in a, in a way the social recruitment advocacy group is 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 allowing them to see that through others eyes because on that around that table and you know you've attended you know the group you'll see many people who are some way down this journey some a long way down this journey yeah. uh you know sharing their experiences and saying you know, you know the benefits so outweigh the you know the potential pitfalls if there are any um that you should get on and do it SX, I mean, it's been excellent to watch. And, and like you said, there's some organisations that are a long way down the road on this. So we started it a long time ago. We've been through the trials and tribulations um, that every organisation will be going through. But it's nice to see when, when they pass the information on to other organisations, that kind of light bulb penny drop moment. Um, you think, wow, that's a fantastic idea. I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about that solution to, to that kind of problem there. And, um, and I know like you, you touched on there with the social recruitment framework. I know, Kenny, that's something that you're exceptionally proud of, um, that we have achieved at, at People Plus. And we've done a lot of work ourselves to grow the social recruitment framework as well as our educational platform, uh, Learning Plus. So what role do you see education and training providers playing in helping individuals acquire skills and knowledge um, kind of needed to succeed in the future of work? And how can these programmes be made essentially more accessible and effective? So I uh, again, this you know, you, you, you're tapping into something which uh, which I spent spent many years uh, thinking about um, uh, wrestling with and trying to uh, to resolve, um, which is there there is a there is an inherent um, problem in the way that the UK government sets up its um, its skills and employability and training and and indeed labour market. Uh, yeah, policy efforts, and uh, look, what what I'm about to say, Darren, is not a party political point. It exists under the current government. It existed under the previous government. There isn't a government that's been in power in the UK or, for that matter, in the devolved nations over the past forty years that hasn't committed the same sin or error, uh, which is that the they look at things from back to my economic example they look at things from a supply side only so what i mean what do i mean by that i mean that government says oh no look we've got lots and lots of people unemployed what are we going to do about that i know let's give them some training let's train them so that they can you know get into work um that's great let's train them to be you know butchers or carpenters or hairdressers that's fine as far as it goes, but if you've only done that, if you've only thought about the unemployed people and the fact they need training, and you haven't looked at the other side of the continuum, which is the demand side, the employer side, and said, what skills do you need? What roles do you need to fill? Yep. Then you end up with, frankly, farcical 
uh, yeah, um, situations. Situ situations where, uh, people say, you know, you, you have to laugh or you'd cry, and it, yeah, uh, which is the kind of definition of high farce. And the example you know, that was you know, given in a famous report a couple of years ago, the Leach report, was 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 actually around hairdressers, where you know we were celebrating in the UK the achievement of having trained eighty six thousand hairdressers in a year. Marvelous. That's tremendous. Unfortunately, there were only 7,000 hairdressing jobs. Now, you think about the implications of that for, for everybody concerned. Yep. Um, or the, let's start with the most important people in that equation, the, the people who are really keen to get into the, into the workforce, feel that if they learn a skill that will help them you know, get a job, uh, go through the you know, the challenges of learning that new skill, uh, you know, and all of the you know, emotional um, um, roller coaster that that would that that would entail, all the hard work that that would entail, and they come out at the end of it just to, only to discover the skill they've got is useless. What an incredibly demotivating experience yeah. that is for them, <clears throat> and what a waste of their time. From the yeah, employers' point of view, bar the employers who managed to recruit this, you know, the seven thousand hairdressers that were required, um, they they would be sitting there thinking, "Well, I pay my corporate taxes, and I know that there is a pot of money being used by the various governments of the UK, which amounts to about. I mean, if I was being conservative, conservative about it." Again, not a party political point, but if I was being you know, <laughs> modest about it, no I would say that I would say that, that money is about two point seven billion pounds per year. If I was an employer, I'd be saying, "Well, how, how's that? How's that helping me? Where, where's it going? Where's you know? I'm paying my corporate ta taxes towards this. Yeah, you know, I'm not seeing any benefit from it. And then from yeah, you know, from the perspective of you and I and all your know, your listeners, as taxpayers who pay the money." That government then you know, decides how to spend and creates policies, um, some of which are around employability and, and skills. Uh, what a waste of that money! Um, the, there's a guy you you will recall. You know, to be that interested in uh, in politics, you will call this name Gavin Williamson. He was the Skills Secretary of State, uh, famous for having a kind of tarantula on his desk and um, and uh, and um, is no longer in office, and there was a, there's a long backstory there, which I won't uh, yeah probably probably don't want to get into uh, yeah for now, but um, he um, had got a bit of got a very hard time as education minister from yeah from the yeah, the the teachers unions and you know people who run schools and uh, as as well as employability and skills providers uh, like uh, ourselves for yeah you know, for some of the inefficiencies that uh, that uh, took place under his watch, so he wasn't. You know, you know, his stock as a as a politician uh, isn't massively high, uh, but I'll tell you what, he, he called one thing bang on. I think in his last interview before he left office uh, with the Guardian newspaper, he says, "We have got to wean ourselves off of the crazy habit of you know, of wasting fifty percent of the money that we spend on employability and skills because of that supply side focus." So if I, you know, the the if I was an international economist, which I'm not, uh, uh, you, you will you will, read, you readily, you will readily detect 
then I, you know, that I would say because they do say that you know that our employability um, policy or you know, labour market policy in the UK is hollowed out because it just looks at that supply side, and that's what people plus above all organisations I think are genuinely above all organisations that I know in the UK tries to fix because it doesn't accept that it it starts with the employer and yeah. says okay what jobs what jobs do you need filled can we fill them for you from people who are you know who need a break in the labor market and if and if we can't do it then we don't stop where our in inverted commas our competitors stop by saying well sorry we don't have a contract in that area we can't help you we yeah we have services like the uh, social recruitment framework that you mentioned that says okay we'll find somebody who can do that for you yep. and that and everybody's a winner in that everybody is a winner the employer gets somebody who is job ready day one terrific tick the um, you know, the new employee is trained confident ready for work into the job gets the you know, gets the guaranteed interview as most yep. of our uh, employers offer and into work that's fantastic and the the you know, commissioners of those services whether those are local uh, devolved or national think that's great I'm, you know I'm, I'm spending my money where it needs to be spent and ultimately the taxpayer you and I people plus as a corporate you know, taxpayer can feel that that the the pounds that we are spending are being spent on those services are being spent are being spent in the right way. That's how it yeah. should work. But we are, we are, and I don't. Yeah, again, it's not a party political point. I wish that um, I wish that employability and skills uh, policy was constructed differently and made easier for yeah for everybody. But you know, it is what it is. All we are doing is is recognizing where the limitations lie yeah. and and stepping in to fix it. And I'm re, I, you know, and I am super proud of us as an organisation. In doing that, in you know, in in having the uh, the uh, insight into how uh, employability and skills works in the UK, where its failings are, and the innovation uh, and um, yeah, uh, and uh, courage to make the investment that was required to you know, to create services that were going to plug that gap for. Our benefit. And these are commercial services, and I never make any apology for People Plus being being one of those businesses that does observe that triple bottom line that uh, that people talk about. So you know, you know, good for the economy, good for society, and we need to you know we need to to make money. Um, but you know, we we put our money where our mouth is, and we make the investment to yeah, create those services, which are good for us, but absolutely good for everybody else, starting with the person looking for work. Again, it's, it's the exact reason, just what you're talking about, that's the exact reason why I built the um, sector-based work academy programme that we've got in, in Glasgow, because that's the area mm -hmm. we cover. Um, the, the really um, poor example I'll use with this is, we make people come in, customers who come into our service who want to be an astronaut in Glasgow, and that's great, I'm never going to dampen anyone's dreams, but there's not that many astronaut jobs going within Glasgow. So we kind of took a look at the market and thought areas like care, like cleaning, like security, who have got a, a vast number of jobs just now um, that don't, that don't require a four-year unit degree for you to go and, and work with and, and I mean that in the nicest possible way and no disrespect um, meant but you can you using our learning plus platform we can get them some qualifications which then means we've got employers who are guaranteeing interviews for for people to come on and the success we've had off that recently has been fantastic and it's really because we looked at the market and we thought what what areas are required and what areas 
do have vacancies um, for us to move people into um, and then started targeting employers from those areas and, and essentially coming up with a pathway or a programme or however you want to put that um, to move people on, get guaranteed interviews with employers and hopefully then, which what has now been running it for about 18 months, um, some real, real success stories on people who were now actually, I met with one of my, one of my clients yesterday, one of the people who have put any work has now been promoted in the last couple of weeks up to supervisor, which when they came to us a year ago, were unemployed and didn't know what they were going to do. They were into a sector that they never ever thought that they were ever going to work within, but now a supervisor, now thriving, now now doing excellent. And, that, and that's the kind of stuff, I suppose, again, you, someone like myself, like the, the part of the job which absolutely puts the big smile on the face is when we hear these success stories, because that's essentially why we're doing what we're doing. It's, it's the reason why we, we get up and, and do everything. So I suppose the harder hitting part of this, Kenny, um, which I'm going to ask you again is, you had mentioned about government policies there. So how can the government policies and, and, and regulations help to promote socially responsible recruitment? Um, and what were the biggest challenges for organisations, but also policymakers? Um, what, what, what are the challenges they will face navigating the kind of future of that? So uh, that's, a, that's a very interesting uh, question for us to, to, to ponder. I, I guess if I go back to the example I was giving earlier on of the, or the uh, the principle of uh, of ESG, environmental social uh, governance. I think that we in social recruitment may follow the route that has been um, uh, described by the the changes to our approaches to the environment. <clears throat> so wind the clock back again, 20 years. Some organisations were working in an environmentally responsible way, and then it then it was more, and then consumers kind of latched onto it and began to put their um, their shopping pounds, if I can use that example, into organisations that were that were clearly taking an environmental lead. And like this is, you know, there's there's there are multiple, so millions of variations of this. Some people only want to you know, to work with environmentally robust organisations. Some people don't worry about it at all, and some people are kind of you know, part way in between. But what happens over time is the government begin to get on board with uh, with the the you know, you know, societal and um, uh, you know, uh, global benefits of this, and they begin to legislate. So they begin to put in uh, ISO standards of you know, to which we are you know, yeah, very happy uh, yeah, uh, signatories that mandate that government that organisations behave in particular ways that are econo economically you know, beneficial. Um, and some organisations like our own, uh, where we where we completely offset all of our uh, this is new news perhaps to the organisation, but you know, completely offset all of our travel. Yeah, you know, you know, we don't have a carbon footprint and you know, people plus or we won't go you know, going forward because we've made that commitment and we put the steps in place uh, to um, uh, to make sure that that is uh, that is um, uh, enacted. Um, so some organisations will get ahead of the government legislation, but I I suspect we'll follow the same route in social recruitment. And there, there will be legislation that uh, that yeah, demands that organisations behave in a particular way in terms of their uh, recruitment practices. But the first step, um, and there is a thing called the Social Value Act, uh, which came into force in, in 2012, but isn't really yeah, uh, strongly enforced, um, which should mandate that, that no organisation can win a public sector bit of business 
unless it delivers to certain standards in its social recruitment or diversity and inclusion strategies. And that's the thing that I'd like to see um, having more teeth. So one of the ways in which we I, I'm encouraged um, that it is um, that is actually coming to pass is when big organisations uh, yeah, bid for big government contracts. Classics would be building a hospital, building a you know, a, a, a road, building you know, rail infrastructure. Uh, so it's construction and infrastructure type things in any of the you know, so you know, as they're called tender documents or bid documents that uh, that the you know, the potential um, uh, you know, winning bidder for those services uh, have to fill in. There is always a question that says, what social value are you going to create um, from this activity? Um, and that social value question used to sit somewhere down the bottom near the appendix and was you know, yep. worth, worth two marks. <laughs> uh, these days, it sits, if not at the top, then almost invariably it oh, will yeah. be it will be it, it will be the thing that has the 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 greatest number of marks associated with it so what is yeah what does that mean for for yeah for organizations and for people plus in particular well the the first thing is they've really got to think about it now they've really got to think about the impact that they're going to have on uh, on society when they deliver this service yeah, it's not because congestion no longer uh, very much the opposite you know it's 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 often the thing that makes or breaks whether you win the bid or not yep the problem that organizations who are doing that bidding face is they don't know how to answer it so one of the things that there won't because be because they're a construction company and that's not yeah their thing. yeah exactly so what one of the things that might not be visible to uh yet colleagues at people plus and you know we'll, we'll, we'll certainly be doing more of it is that a number of these organizations, and I suspect an increasing number of these organizations, are coming to People Plus and saying, How do I answer this? How do I how do I answer this question? <laughs> and that's yeah, that is why uh, you know it's one of the reasons that you know I was so pleased to put forward in terms of our you know, our our, you know, our our mission as an organization, the fact that we are going to be driving, taking the lead um, in what we do ourselves and working with others on social value yep. it's it's thinking about that model so when we are asked to answer that question we of course answer that question with socially responsible recruitment right at the heart of it to make sure that you know that uh any major infrastructure you know, uh, bit of activity that we are involved in helping to win then delivers the you know the, the type of um, of social output that we espouse and champion uh, in the organisation. That's, I mean, I we haven't said it in our mission, but you know, but I'll, I'll say it. Say it now. What is it? What is in my mind is that we want to encourage organ. Yeah, we ourselves, of course, uh, help people one at a time. As you know, as our um, yeah, as you know, as everybody in the organisation knows, and. Um, if we keep on helping one at a time, you know, we we gradually you know, will make a will make a uh, a difference to society. Um, and I suppose people in the in people plus might think, well, that's a, that's a slow burn. <laughs> if you're if you do it one at a time, how are you gonna how are you gonna really change society? Well, it's doing things like uh, like I've just said, working with other organisations to you know, to make sure that they are marbling social value into yeah. the major uh, yeah, projects that they are undertaking that allows us to do it really 
at scale. And I would like, I will come back and review this maybe maybe in a year's time or you know, when, you know, when we, we come to refresh our, uh, our, our, our mission and vision uh, in, a, in a year or so from now. I, I would like us to get to a position where we're confident as an organization to say something like, we are the organization that that contributes more social value than any other company in the UK. Now, if I said it now, people might think, well, how can you do that? I mean, you're, you're 2,000 people, um, you know, you work on, you know, on you know, lots of big contracts, et cetera, and we help support other organizations deliver their contracts. But you know, really, are you going you know, to be able to create that much social value? Well, with the model that I've just described, yes. So see, on a side note from that, Kenny, if, if, like, if AN or their construction company um, is listening to this and they're about to put in a bid for a government contract or anything to require a community benefit clause or, or anything along those lines, um, is there a quick piece of advice that you would give them in relation to People Plus? Yeah, pick up the phone, uh, call the switchboard and ask for Kenny Boyle. <laughs> You'll be flooded or, with or, 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 or Darren Christie, for that matter. <laughs> uh, I, I, well, I, I would, I, I, on a serious note, actually, the, the, that note is serious. Uh, but a serious note, I would, um, I, I would say, yeah, recognise that this is the deal breaker. Yep. You're, you're going to win or lose this contract by by dint of uh, of what you put in it. Don't think that um, the answer is going to be, yeah, we have a, ro- yeah, we have a ro- robust policy of inclusion in our organization that's not going to that's not going to cut it you need to see how it is that you're going to do it you need to expand the parameters of your ambition as far as you possibly can to make sure that you are drawing into your workforce and the workforce that is going to support the construction endeavor um you know, by by looking at sectors of the workforce that have historically been not abandoned necessarily, but in some instances, yes, abandoned, but have been you know, have been given up, you know, been given the given the thin end of the wedge, and you need to work out how it is that you're going to reach out to those potential uh, employees and bring them into your workforce, ready to work, ready to succeed, ready to prosper, ready to grow, and ready to develop a career. And if it's a construction company, you need to make sure that you know, that that strategy doesn't end the day you down tools because what you don't want is to bring a thousand people into your workforce and keep them there for 18 months of the length of the build and then have them go back into the ranks of the unemployed you need a solution that is going to you know to, you know, to see them continue to work in your organization or your partner organizations now i'm not saying that any of that is is easy and it will it might seem frightening uh when you as a construction company uh, yeah um begin to think about those implications but it is absolutely doable people plus can and do do it we know what the solutions are to yeah to each of those particular uh challenges and we can you know we can help you deliver that and i go back to the the starting point which is this question is likely to be the difference between you winning that bit of work or not. So, you know, I, I seem to have traveled a long way away from the original question there, Darren, but, you know, but in terms of what the government can do, uh, you know, and, and prior to kind of legislating or mandating that social res- yeah, socially responsible recruitment has to be a part of everybody's um, uh, uh, yeah, em- em- employment activities, uh, then that is a really, really 
powerful instrument that government can yeah, can employ and is I am delighted, really delighted to see is employing. And it, you know, it gives people plus a fantastic opportunity to make sure that the values that we espouse and the mission that we yeah, that we have to yeah, to grow yeah, the social value that is created uh, in the UK gives us a brilliant opportunity to be able to make sure that that happens. I'm talking about a real partnership approach there. There's actually there's a, um, a kind of quick story on this. Um, I went to a chat, bringing in a, a fellow Scotsman into this, Kenny. Um, I went to um, watch Kenny Dobwish, um talking about his success and, and you just kind of forget how much success he actually had um, as a player um, and also a manager. And one of the questions he was posed at the forum I was at was, um, you've been one of the few people that have had a great playing career, but also a great managerial career um, what advice would you give as to as to how you've managed to bridge that gap and I won't use the exact language um, that he used um, in front of everyone but essentially said I knew what I was good at and I knew what I was bad at I got really good at what I was good at and I partnered up and brought people in to do the stuff that I wasn't good at and allowed other people to, to flourish in their department flourish in what they do and I think essentially that's what we're kind of talking about is you're a construction company and you can do your construction stuff, that's great, but partnering up with organisations like People Plus and, and obviously we're talking about the social recruitment framework that we have created, it's all, it's a fully partnership, um, partnered up approach to, to to come up with a solution to this huge problem that we've got sitting in front of you, so. No, you're, it, like, you're exactly right. Um, uh, the, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's good advice, actually it's good advice for any manager uh in a in a business which is you know you, you recognize where your strengths are and you know, get people there that can do that you know do that for you and try and you know if you feel that you have got skills try and you know, allow yourself the time to uh, you know, to do more of the things that you know that have, have made you successful uh in a in a career that's a slightly side sidebar point i suppose but um one of the people plus has always had at the, at the kind of center of its uh, of, of its values or, or or any of the ways that we have expressed our kind of you know, mission and vision, a recognition that we can't do it ourselves, and that, and I think I think we probably recognise that more than any other organisation in our in our sectors, and that's why we have these what might appear to first sight to be kind of odd services. It's kind of an odd thing, isn't it, to be creating services which help your in inverted commas competitors. I mean, I, I do get that that seems odd to you know to to, you know, to people to you know, to, the, you know, to the board uh sometimes um but the reason for it is it is is really simple and fundamental to you know, to, to what we do if we just stick to you know, to all that we can do because of you know the bids that we you know that we bid for and and win our, our ourselves we will have x impact in society and x is never going to be as big as y and the y is you know, if we can work with other people to have an impact in society it is going to be double triple quadruple yeah you, know, you very quickly you get into that kind of you know, scenario it's where yeah so it's, it's the famous uh, but i still uh, i used to try it as a kid where somebody said if you, if you can fold a piece of paper is it, is it 28 times? I was going to say 13 times. Then it gets to the moon. And you think, ah, what? What? This, this, must, this must be madness. But it is the kind of mind-altering um, uh, kind of, yeah, scenario of, of exponential growth. 
you know, you, unfortunately, you can't fold a piece of paper more than about eight times, I think. But, you know, a, you know, despite and I did try this with pliers and a vice, but, you know, you, you know gen, and a very thin piece of paper. But, you know, it's that it's that kind of mindset that yeah, that we are in. We have to recognize that if we can work with the largest uh, the largest employers in the company and sorry, in the country and the largest infrastructure and construction providers in the country and have them deliver socially responsible recruitment yeah, yeah, throughout all of their activity, then we really do have a chance to be the organisation that is responsible for the creation of more social value in the UK than any other. It makes that impact you were talking about at the start. So, Kenny, that, that brings us to the end of the podcast. And I, and I just I want to say thank you so much um, for your time today and thank you so much for your insight into the world of kind of social value recruitment and, and, and various aspects of that. So, um, and for anyone who is still listening to the, the dulcet tones of Two Scotsmen on a podcast, um, this is a podcast that will be going out every fortnight. And we'll have different guests of, of, of different sectors and, and different industry experts. We'll also be running some um, workshop type ideas where we're giving some hints and tips as to, to certain aspects of the job market, how to find the job, how to employ the right types of people, etc., etc. So, Kenny, from us at People Plus, I just want to say um, from the podcast, a huge thank you for your time today. Um, and I look forward to seeing you at the next episode of the More Than Just a Job podcast. Pleasure, Darren. Good to be with you. And I hope uh, I hope you have me back on at some point in the future. Um, you know, we can talk about social recruitment and football and all of the many other things that we might uh, we, we might branch into. But good luck with the podcast. And uh, uh, you know, uh, thanks very much for having me. We'll see you again soon. Thank you very much, Kenny. Thanks for listening. And please sign up from wherever you got your podcast for the next episode of More Than Just a Job from People Plus.